Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Monks. This is Adam Frommel here with my always fantastic host, Dan Favalli, both thoroughly exhausted from daily life, plus trying to keep up with what has been a hectic and engaging first round of the NBA postseason. But we are shifting away from the playoff coverage for this episode in favor of the teams that did not make it. So we're going to start in the Eastern Conference, going from the team that had the top finish that did not make the playoffs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, all the way through the bottom of the conference with the Orlando Magic, asking what we think is the single biggest question going into their offseason process. Before we dive into any of those questions, though, I have one for you, Dan, and that's, as always, how's it going? I am doing pretty good. How about yourself? Hanging in there. I, uh, I, I, I'm usually better when I don't watch the Hawks these days. They did win a game. I was shocked. <laughs> Genuinely dumbfounded. And look, if you can't if you can't win when Kyle Lowry's out, like this was just no. like it was. I mean, three no. one, it's over anyway. But um, yeah, I'm glad that you're persevering through the Hawks' loss, though. I'm uh, used to it. In other that I can't. Do you think Rudy Gobert should have been fined twenty five k for saying "fuck the talk" on air? I know that. I think he should be paid for saying it. Right. I know that's a drop in the bucket for him anyway, but that just seems like that's so cheesy. It is. I am excited to talk about not the playoffs, though, because one, from just a content creator's perspective, I'm tired of putting things out that are just dated immediately. And it's also good. I think we forget, at least for the first two rounds of the playoffs, I feel like it's easy to forget that all these other teams in the league exist that aren't in there. And so this is a fun exercise to go through, and it helps you with prep for for the offseason. And like I said, from from the business side of the content perspective, I like Evergreen content as much as i love the playoffs have been entertaining as hell i still have no idea what to make of grizzlies timberwolves like i just none, have zero, none zero whatsoever for that series uh but i'm excited to get into this exercise i was at the uh the, the third game of nuggets warriors and a friend and i were walking through the stadium and looked at the tv that had that game on and all of a sudden the grizzlies were tied and it was that was the game that they came back from what like 26 27 down we had no idea how it had happened and that's this series in a nutshell, I think. Also, this series in a nutshell, writing the Wolves off, saying that they after that, there's no coming back from that. And then it's just, we're going into game five, yeah. tied it to a piece. Yeah. Do you want to start us off, though, with the Cavaliers? We're going to try. We say this all the time, but I am going to have a clock here. We we're going to do eight minutes, but when I went on the box and won with uh, Coach Spins, he did seven minutes per team. And I feel like that gives us some leeway if we do actually go over to maybe the podcast will actually be an hour. For these. We'll see. And also seven by seven is catchy. So I'm stealing it. The idea is not stolen from spins. We did a different type of exercise, but seven by seven. Thank you. I mean, it's like seven by 14, but we will have the Western conference probably next week um, because we will do, I'll do something with the playoffs later this week, but we're trying to go seven minutes per team, which entails me actually remembering to keep track of this. So my phone is in front of my face and we're starting the clock on the Cavaliers. Mr. Adam Frommel, what's your biggest question for them heading into the off season? I think the, from a transactional perspective, the obvious question is revolving around Colin Sexton. Is he going to come back coming off this season that was cut short by injury? Is he going to go elsewhere? He said that he wants to come back. Are they going to? But I think even more importantly is if he does come back or if he doesn't and they're relying solely on internal improvement, is there enough in Cleveland to improve an offense that finished in the bottom third of the league? Because this defense is phenomenal, but unless the offense catches up, it's too susceptible to these 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 ugly losses that ultimately kept it out of a true playoff position, forced it into a play-in game, which did not go so well. The And I'll clarify this quickly, and it's very clear that you approached it the same way. And it doesn't pertain to the Cavaliers. I steered clear of, since we aren't the draft lottery, who are they going to take at number yeah. such and such? I have nothing about the draft in any of mine. So just like, you know, when we get to the Pistons, the Magic specifically, that stuff is relevant. So just wanted to throw that out there. Mine is in, and look, that makes sense. You also have to ask, this is a question that's branched off of that, is do you have Garland, Sex, and Levert on the same team? Is that something that you want or should do? And my question is kind of in a similar vein of, do you need you know, what's more of a priority for this team? Is it getting a wing so that Larry Markkinen isn't playing the three and you're getting away from the three big lineups that had a lot of defensive success? Or are you just prioritizing maybe shooting however it comes where it's, do you want to actually upgrade the Isaac Okoro spot? Or let's just say you're getting a shooting wing in general. Is that shooting wing 
if you sign him or trade for him, do you want him to come off the bench? Are you trying to upgrade from Isaac Okoro? Are you trying to replace Larry Markkinen? And so there's the inherent question, I think, that's tied to Sexton of, could he get you what you need in a sign-in trade? Because there are very few teams with cap space that can give him an offer sheet that's significant. I don't know what his value is. He wanted like four a hundred, I think. And it was the last we heard. My guess would be that he doesn't get it just after this injury. Um, But that being said, like the only teams that can really and they have to want to have cap space would be Detroit, Indy, Orlando, Portland, and the Spurs. And so, like those aren't none of those teams spring to mind. Like maybe Detroit, but they might. I should think San Antonio would be kind of fun. They just have so many guards right. types already. Um, and Orlando is like, he probably really upgrades their offense, but you have Cole Anthony and you just, you have a log jam there. If you're going to add to that or decongest it, it needs to be for someone better than Colin Sexton. Also yep. Jalen Suggs, there's overlap there. But is there like a, you know, I thought about, what do you think about him in Washington with Bradley Beal? Is there like a sign and trade there to where maybe you get KCP or Kuzma as part of it? And you're- That might be my favorite fit. Just again, from a purely fit perspective. But as um, for Cleveland, like I think it's yeah. the shooting wing route. Like, I, that's that's what I would like to see the Cavaliers do, even if it does come at the expense of some of those three big lineups that, as you said, had defensive success. Because I actually do believe in the internal improvement route for this offense, if only because of Evan Mobley, where he struggled a good bit on offense as a rookie. But you could see those flashes, the face-up game, the turnaround jumpers, the ability to create off the bounce. And you have one of the the five best passers in basketball on your team already in Darius Garland. I don't really want someone like Sexton who's going to take the ball out of his hands a lot while also probably hindering some of that growth from Mobley just by virtue of the missed opportunities. It's nothing, I'm not trying to take away from Sexton's game so much as saying that there's a little bit of overlap that it might prevent the growth we could otherwise see from this team. Yeah, and I do think you pointed out that Mobley is going to have more to offer on the ball. You have to be willing to stomach it. But if you have Levert, Sexton, and Garland on the same team, even if you're staggering them, one of them is going to presumably come off the bench, I would think, uh, then you are still sort of allocating touches away from him. And so it sounds like you would go the, let's see. And it could be, if you want to keep Sexton, I'm not saying that he's not worth keeping. Maybe it's a, do you make the either or decision between him and Levert? Because Levert's going to be a free agent after next season Mm -hmm. as of right now. So do you see what you can get in a Levert Sexton package? I would argue just based off age and even injury history now, given that Sexton's coming back from his first major one, Sexton's going to net you more alone than a sign and trade. And so I think that's the route I would explore. That being said, on the Sexton front, because you, if like, are you matching? Let's just say there isn't a deal to be had. Are you matching? whatever offer assuming one comes that he receives and then figuring out later, or if you're the Cavs looking at the complexion of your roster, knowing if he's going to, let's just say he costs you North of 20 million still. Is there like a, a leave it point for you where you're like, we'll let him walk away for nothing. I, I would probably upwards of like 18 a year. Wow. I think I would just sign it and figure it out later. I'm not going to lie. Maybe I'm just higher on Colin Sexton than a lot of others. I just I can't get some of the, the the reporting that we heard throughout this season out of my head, just about like the locker room issues and whatnot. And I, I think that's I, like that's too important with a young team that's that's clearly on the rise. I guess I also view I view through the framing of because Levert's going to enter free agency, still having Colin Sexton at the end of the day isn't the worst thing in the world because there's a chance that you don't have Levert going forward either, and you would still need the secondary scoring. And I do think Levert's the better. It's also like the easiest thing to go find. Sec, uh, a secondary, like, I guess, because if you don't think that Colin Sexton can be the secondary, like, I don't want to say floor general, but the secondary ball handler to where he can create for others. I think he can at least fulfill the secondary part of that role because that sure. the scoring is fine. Like you can go out and you can find a, a fucking, you know, Jordan Clarkson. But you can't. That's more what I mean. Yeah, I mean the the creation aspect is interesting, but that also presumes that Colin Sexton is able and willing to create, which is a role that he does not often like to fill. I would say I would have loved to have seen him more extensively with a talent. Just having the two bigs Mm -hmm. in Mobley and Allen opens up options he hasn't always had. I am with you though. I'm team like you need to explore the full extent of Mobley's offense, and so I would prefer to move 
it doesn't have to be Sexton, but I do think he nets you the most. Can you address the shooting wing stuff by using Sexton as bait in a sign-in trade? That would bring us over to the, look, 15 seconds to spare on that team. Look at us go. Let's start the clock on the Charlotte Hornets. We have to talk about, this isn't, the biggest question would be, who are you going to hire from, uh, who are you going to upgrade from, from James Borrego? Is there an actual, there's an upgrade. If If you're signing Quinn Snyder, or maybe even if it's a Kenny Atkinson, or if you really are high on Darvin Ham, here are my thoughts on this. And this is leading into my actual question. Was James Borrego even the issue in Charlotte? And no. The only no. I can come up with, and um, Kanata Edwards, who's a podcast producer at CBS Sports, he was tweeting about this. If you think Borrego just sort of lost the locker room and the players were done with him and he was adversely impacting your relationship with Lomelo somehow, fine. If he, The other thing that I didn't see people talk about is if you wanted Kai Jones and James Booknight to get more run this year and he didn't give it to them, I don't think either of them would have solved what ails them. Okay, I get it. Those are defensible reasons. The stuff that I have seen that this even with that to- even with that latter one though, like it's it's often tough to pin that on the coach because it's also like an edict from the front office. You and- know, like what you're trying to do right now. If you're trying to win now, if you're trying to develop, it's not that's not solely the coach's responsibility. And also, I also want to make it clear: I don't think the front office wanted it to happen any other way because they traded for Trez midseason. That's not a trade you make if you're trying to open up big man minutes for a Kai Jones. Right. Um, the thing that gets me here is Charlotte improved by winning percentage, like relative to last season, by, by the equivalent of five or six wins. This is year two of LaMelo. I get that maybe you feel like you're on a clock more so with him because of the, the iffy landscape with how big qualifying offers are getting and will someone eventually take it or try and request a trade. Look, I'll believe it when I see it. There's so much money in that post-rookie extension life-changing money, generational money. I'll believe it when I see it. But the other thing is, what was James Borrego supposed to do with this defense? The two things I would argue very quickly are they didn't finish in the bottom 10 of points allowed per possession. They underachieved, uh, overachieved, excuse me. Like that, with this, when you look on paper. Two, if you're going to be mad, I saw the stuff like, oh, he didn't maximize or optimize the defensive coverage with Mason Plumley in it. Uh, it's Mason Plumley. If that's like his failing grace something's wrong with the way your roster was built and just as a bonus i also saw people pointing out teams defend really some teams defend really well when they play small okay well some teams don't have kelly Oubre jr or like cody martin as their best perimeter defender like that's just you doubt like you were dealing with a miles bridges who increasingly feels like the most aimlessly versatile player on defense i've ever seen uh, not ever that's me but again so I want to hear your thoughts more Borrego. My actual question had to be, uh, like, are they going to go out and really significantly upgrade the center position? But I want to know what I mean, my, I had the cop-out answer, or the cop-out question here, which is, like, who is going to coach this team? Because I think it, it's the biggest thing that matters. And the answer should be James Borrego. Like, I, I think that the biggest argument I can see against him is the effort one. Because the team did come out flat in both playing games and that's pretty inexcusable. And it's, it's hard to see how that happens for a team that is fully bought in. It's also a young team that hasn't been there before. And I just, I can't get past the amount of player development that we saw under his supervision. I mean, you go up and down the roster and so many players improved LaMelo ball leaps and bounds better on the defensive end. Also, you know, more of a, of an effectively aggressive version of himself on offense. Miles Bridges in the most improved player conversation, both at the beginning and the end of the season. We saw jumps from Terry Rogier, Cody Martin turned into a, a really useful player. You know, it goes on and on and on and on. So it's hard, it's hard for me to come up with a good justification for this, unless it is, as you said right off the top, solely about whether he lost the locker room. And and we quite frankly don't have insight into that. Um oh sorry, go ahead. I don't know at this early stage of their offseason who I would tap to replace him. Um, I don't think we know everyone who's going to be available. Quinn Snyder, again, as you mentioned, would be a, a dream hire if That's he's available. Too. I was going to say, like, if you told me you got rid of him because you really think Quinn Snyder's walking through the door. Right. And, and there might be other available coaches like Steve Nash who you want to avoid. <laughs> um, Look, the Nets so, don't have a head coach. <laughs> 
Steve Nash no, in charge of, as Jason Concepcion said, only handling the vibes. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving handle like the X's and O's is very yeah, clearly because much. there aren't many X's and O's on that team. It's it's pretty simple. It's an X here and an O and an O there, and then the four other X's in the corners. Um, so no, I, I don't know who I would even want them to go after at this point. But James Brego seems like a good option. The uh, so I had the center question of what are they going to do to upgrade it? Because I think that you absolutely need to upgrade it. The question is, will you, you don't have money to spend and your, your financial situation is going to get a little bit more fickle, which is, would be the other question here. They have no option other than to match whatever offer she miles bridges gets. Correct. Yeah. Assuming he gets 100%. You just, you, you have to, you didn't move him before you should have signed him through an extension. I would bet would have been significantly less than the max. We'll see how much he ends up getting in free agency this time. Then it's when you get down to the center conversation, it's are you willing to use either Book Knight, Jones, you have Uber Jr. salary, you also have Gordon Hayward salary. Are you willing to go after a Miles Turner or a Rudy Gobert? Or are you gonna go like the cheaper route where it's I don't like I don't Nicholas Claxton, Mitchell Robinson, maybe those need to be signed in trades anyway, just because are they gonna get more than the mid-level? I I guess they could. Do you trade for something like or do you go after a Chris Boucher or a Kavon Looney? Which route would you go? If you're I mean, we've we've talked about the Gobert and Charlotte option before, and if that's even remotely feasible, that's where I want to go. Because even though he's owed four years and like one, yes, yes, especially because that that becomes easier to do when Lamelo Ball is still on rookie scale. I would you figure that part out later, right? I just would wonder if even before Lamelo having Rudy Miles Bridges on his new deal, I guess you're getting rid of Hayward, but then you have Rozier's like basically hundred million dollar deal, right? Five million less than that. The other benefit, though, is if you bring in someone at that price point or a similar one, then you guarantee that there is a snowball's chance in hell that Russell Westbrook is wearing a Charlotte uniform. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Run that back. If you overpay for a center, you don't have the budget to go out and get Russell Westbrook. Oh, that's that's my other that's my other big question for Charlotte is who can we petition to just not call the Lakers? (laughs) The only thing I'll say on the Westbrook front is if you're getting off, if you want to just reset your books, and I know Charlotte's not a free agency destination, but you want to use it for trades or something, uh, I would understand Westbrook's expiring. And if you're going to actually go through rebuilding year, do you buy him out or whatever? If I'm them, I'm not getting Gobert. I feel like the cost would be too high. I would look at like, so the, the cost I came up with for them, and we can wrap this up there, is if, let's say the Pacers are still win- willing to trade Miles Turner. Are you doing Hayward, PJ Washington, then the number 15 or 13 Miles Turner? Yes. Um, And I do think that leaves you with enough assets to then, because you don't really have great wing defenders. I think that would leave you with enough assets to, if you wanted to turn around, give your other first round pick, plus Booknight or Kai Jones, plus Terry Rozier or Oubre for Jeremy Grant. Like if you're getting Kai Jones and a pick and you're Detroit, and then you're getting Rozier, are you saying no to that Jeremy Grant trade? Kai Jones, let's say Kai Jones, number 13, and Terry Rozier. No, I'd probably do that one as well. Um, I think they might prefer Oubre, which is like if I'm if I'm going to take on Jeremy Grant and pay him, I'd probably prefer to get off Terry Rozier's contract. They're going to be – their low-key might be one of the most fascinating teams of the offseason. They're that was really interesting. The Borrego one. Who is next up? The New York Knicks are going to be next up, and my question for Wait, them – Let me just put uh, two hours on the clock. Okay, go. <laughs> My question for them is, who are the building blocks here? Because until you determine that, it's really tough to figure out where to go from here. And if you look up and down this roster, there are, what, five or six players where you can ask the, is he a building block question, and not really have a clear answer. Julius Randle looked like it last year, did not look like it this season. Are you trying to move him? RJ Barrett, probably the most clear-cut yes answer to this question. Mitchell Robinson, given the complete lack of growth we saw in regression in some important areas, I'm not sure that he should qualify. Quickly, he just slashed 39-2-34-6-88-1. And then we get to like Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride. Like that can't, by the way, these guys were disaster. Yeah. These are guys where like, yeah, there's some upside. Do you want to call them a foundational piece? I mean, if you do, like, congrats on your perpetual lottery appearances. So I, I, I struggle to come up with any sort of feasible, cohesive 
concrete plan for New York until you can answer this question, which is just who are you building around? Is it only Barrett? (laughs) (laughs) So I would frame it this way to answer your question before we get into mine. There is no one, absolutely no one on this roster that would affect who I target in the draft if I think they are the best player available. That includes Barrett. I don't care if there would be overlap. It just so happens that Barrett would probably be pretty easy to fit into whoever or in a trade. That's just, uh, there's the wrong star to target. And I don't think Donovan Mitchell is going to become available. I would be surprised. I want to make that clear. I don't know if Donovan Mitchell's that star. He's just regressed so much defensively. I would be curious as to, is that the guy you're going? But if the if you deem him the guy or the next star to come available, there's no one on this team that is impacting the way I view that. I just, and that includes Barrett. Sure. I think he showed a lot of improvement towards the end of the season, but like until that aggression ch- translates to more efficient finishing at minimum, I don't know that you could call him. He is their best building block. And I think I w- I'd be willing to go too deep here and say him and quickly are the closest you get to foundational pieces. I just think Toppin, shot of adrenaline, he's always going to be more complimentary than not. Fair. And I'm just curious, where do you land on, on that? He's probably the closest one to joining Barrett. Uh, I, I, I still think I would consider Barrett a foundational piece, but not at the expense of doing anything. Uh, Toppin is probably my number two in that conversation, which probably says a lot about the state of the Knicks right now, because he would not be a number two for almost any other team. So the defense the is still a play? huge issue. I don't honestly know what he can do at this point because he exploded onto the scene during the closing stretch of this past season, which is kind of like the silly time of year when we see so many illegitimate breakouts because of opportunity against backups. Which is fair. I mean, yeah, I know we'll be topping. I'm, I'm, I'm out on quickly. though. You're out. I'm out on quickly. I just don't see it. Why? What, I what, just, what? I don't see, I don't, if without him being a lockdown defender, which he's not, I, I just don't see the offensive efficiency to justify the role that he needs to fill. I, that is, wow. That might be one of your more, that might be one of the more takes that I fundamentally disagree with that you've had. The, I don't, Fair. to put him in as a foundational piece in a vacuum, I get that skepticism, but to just be out just on someone who can hit these like long off the dribble threes, has the stop and start floater, I think is getting a little bit better as a If passer. you want to talk about him filling like the Jordan Clarkson role, awesome. No. Beyond Jordan. that, like I don't think I see much more. I think he is more likely to fill, and I think this player is going to be significantly better just based off how he finishes and can get to the basket where Cuckoo's game is always going to stall out. He is more likely, the outcome for me is he's going to be a closer, his peak, to a Jordan Poole than Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson doesn't have the playmaking awareness or the... I mean, there's the versatility on offense, but... I I am currently viewing Jordan Poole as a future multi-time All-Star. I would say that... I'm not going to, I don't think quickly is a multi-time all-star, but I, to say that he's like Jordan Clarkson and his, is his ceiling feels borderline insulting. I'm okay with that. My question for them. Not here to save his feelings, Dan. I'm Mike. Yeah, but you are here to be accurate. And I feel like that one's wildly to just be out on Emmanuel quickly after a year or two when he didn't receive like actual developmental time until like really towards the latter third of this season. Sure. What? You're not defending your point. You're just saying, sure, what? I just, I don't see it. Even when it's all, even when he is on the floor. Like, Like, can you ascribe some, like, something to that other than I just don't see it? Because his, his role hinges on shot making ability and he doesn't make shots. I, I, to me, it's, it's as simple as that. Like it's, it's the, the, the fundamental issue is that, yeah, he makes those occasional super difficult looks that then give him the, the the confidence to keep firing away at these inopportune times. That's a tough mentality to change, especially when he's not hitting them with any sort of consistency. Like what in the statistical profile, granted the situation has been bad, the development has been bad, the coaching has been bad, but what has he done that's like concrete evidence that there is something to fall in love with here? Uh, he increases assist rate by 50% this year on lower usage in general. He also improved his two point percentage by like four percentage points while not taking appreciably easier to what, what it's year two. Your 45% on twos is not something that I'm going to declare as the end of the world, especially when it's not him getting to the rim every five seconds and missing bunnies. So like 
he, yeah, it'd be nice if he got to the rim more, 9% of his shots coming at the rim last year, but he's still like 63.1% inside three feet. There are worse marks to have. I agree that the shot selection could improve, but to even be around 35% from three on the, the volume that he was propping up in lower minutes on the difficulty that was ascribed to a lot of his looks. And yeah, it's fair to not say, look to say, yeah, we can't, you know, read too much into what happens at the end of the year. But I do think there's value in having a rhythm and the Knicks not giving him any sort of like real functional cadence to where you didn't necessarily understand his role for huge portions of the season puts him at a disadvantage. And I'd also be curious to see what a team that's actually more willing to get in transition consistently and afford him more space in the half court to work with what he can actually do there. And so I feel like there's a lot. Jordan Poole has gotten to play with future Hall of Famers in their prime. Sure. His entire career. And so I don't know. has I benefited think, tremendously. And his ceiling is higher. Than as a development. He's player. way better. Yeah. Quickly's not Maxi. Quickly's not Halliburton. Quickly's not. I'm not putting him in the same conversation. To just be out after a year or two, though, feels very premature. Well, I didn't really contextualize what out means. Again, like Jordan Clarkson role has value. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Year voters. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's there's still a lot of value in having that guy who can come off the bench and take and, and hit some difficult shots. I just don't know how scalable that is. We'll have to find out. I'm going to bookmark we this will. take. My question, since we're already over the time limit, is are they going to pick a direction or still be in no. the middle? I don't. If yes. I was, if I was them, they're, yeah, they're going to remain in the middle because they're the Knicks. If I'm them, it's time to. It's sort of the crap or get off the pot scenario where it's if you really want the star. There's going to be, it's, then it's throw it in, find the star. There'll be one available, throw it in, actually try and build what could be a real contender or like trade the veterans and let's see what the kids give you. And I still remain a proponent of if you're the Knicks and people have told me they think that the Knicks would need to get a first round pick or two as part of this. I'm absolutely trading Julius Randall, Evan Fournier and Alec Burks for Russell Westbrook. And you can try and wave by sure. Westbrook, whatever clean your, and first of all, a team like New York, I don't think free agents necessarily want to play for the Knicks as much as people believe that being said, that's a team and a market that can find value in cap space one way or the other, more than a Charlotte or a Utah, if they're hitting reset, but it also frees up all this runway for the kids. And if the Lakers were to give you one of their distant, like a 2027 pick to do it, to grease the wheels of it done. And I would go that route. I don't think they will, but I am wondering if they'll pick a direction. Will we be talking about in the middle of the offseason, the end of the offseason? Oh, the Knicks. They skewed towards, like, they went younger rebuilding, or, all right, they went all in for player X. And I just, I don't think that they have the organizational backbone, clarity, or vision to choose either one. I'm right there with you. I just, at this point, like, expecting something better from the Knicks, regardless of who's in charge, is just kind of foolish. I have a feeling this next team will start to clock. It was only nine minutes on the Knicks. We'll start the clock on the Wizards. I have a feeling we have the same question for them, but what is your question on the Wizards? I avoided the Bradley Beal one. Okay, I didn't. Is it worth moving any of the young guys for established talent? I'm talking about Denny Advia, Daniel Gafford, Corey Kispert, and Rui Hachimura because they've been resistant to including especially Advia and Hachimura in any trades to this point. But if you already have Bradley Beal, and for all, for all we know, the plan is to continue holding on to him, though that is still up for debate and you have Christoph's Porzingis now, is it worth turning any of those guys into something that can help you win now? It, I think I'm in love with Denny Avdia, So I would say no. And yours actually is, I was going to say, what are, is Bradley Beal staying? Or are you actually going to go out and trade for a point guard to play next to Bradley Beal? That makes sense because yep. let's be honest at the peak of their powers. We know Russ wasn't a great fit. Dinwiddie clearly wasn't a great fit. Was John Wall ever really like the perfect point guard to play with no. Bradley Beal? We probably no. never saw the peak of them together, to be fair. But who no. is? Like, what, so, what archetypally, who are you trying to put next to Beal? I have a player. I'm just curious as to what you think. Malcolm Brogdon. Jack of all trades, do everything, can create for himself. Yeah, I mean, that's like the exact kind of thing I would want, except I would like a little bit more on defense. I actually view like, Five years ago, Kyle Lowry as what I want, okay, which obviously is, is hard. I, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I'm just thinking like from an archetypal perspective, like who the ideal kind of fit is without. Present day Van Fleet. Is that where you, he's on yeah, the Yeah. Something like that would be really ideal. DeJounte Murray would be really fun, but you're never yeah. getting him. I, this is not like a realistic scenario so much as just a, a thought exercise. 
would you do the thing that I'm so I think they they do have like wings to spare when you look at or wing type bodies in Rui, Avia, Kuzma, KCP. Both KCP's not guaranteed. I'm assuming they'll keep him or partially guaranteed. Kuzma's a player option, not for this upcoming season, but the next one, 2023. So both of them are going to be free agents in 2023, is what I'm getting at. Rui's going to be a restricted free agent. I'm keeping Avdia unless you're getting the, you know, if you're pairing Dame with Bradley Beal, yeah, it's going to cost you Denny Avdia. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think that's winning you a championship, but uh, Beal, Beal and Willard would work offensively. That would be absolutely fine. Would you do KCP or Kuzma or one of them and Rui for Malcolm Brogdon? Yes. I'm out on Rui. So if you want to call me out for the mistake there, the shooting improved this year. The shot selection is still bad. I don't know what he is on defense. Um, but if I'm Indy and if you're shopping Malcolm Brogdon, I assume it's because you're concerned about his injuries. He's missed an average of 28 games per year over the last, last half decade. And so that extension, three years, 67-ish. It's a little if concerning. If you're Washington, are you willing? Because look, Kuzma was so good last year. And so is KCP. I think KCP is better defensively. Kuzma probably gives you, I think, more balance just because he's not going to... If you want someone to create, Kuzma might be the better option at this point. Um, that being said, I'd be reticent because you're putting Malcolm Brogdon and Christoph Porzingis on the same team. Just as injury risks in general, is that too much to... And it's not like Beal has stayed perfectly healthy either. My counterpoint to my own counterpoint, the counterpoint to my counterpoint, <laughs> if you're keeping Beal... Like it's, you have to make some of the bolder win. You have to, you have to, because you can't just keep treading water. At some point he's going to say enough is enough. And I I think the, you know, again, it hurts your wing depth a little bit, but the way Avdia played defensively this year. And if you're keeping KCP and or Kuzma, I think that gives you enough to, and look, if Indy just wants off of Brogdon's deal, figure out a way to step ladder your way there. I know it would take a lot. Like, could you do it before the off season? at that point, but your roster spots would be weird. If you can do it without including KCP or Kuzma, um, do it. I just don't see the path there. It's tough to find one. Because I think what you would have to do, and again, this would be predicated on Indy saying, okay, we want to just get rid of Malcolm Brogdon's salaries. You have to guarantee Ishmith's salary, which is 4.7. You pair him with Rui, and then Kispert. I don't even think that gets you there, and you would probably have to, you know, Vernon, uh, like, Isaiah Todd, I don't even know if that's enough money, but it would have to be something like that, and those never happen. So that was my – Brogdon was the archetype of player. I'm just not – the other player I thought about too, since we still have some time left here, is I don't think they could because they already did a deal with them, but could you get in on the Jalen Brunson sign-and-trade sweepstakes? He would be perfect next to Bradley Beal. Probably not. Yeah, I think, I don't know the, I think the financial about. path is pretty difficult. Just because Dallas's defense, you could argue. Yeah. I think when you look at their rotation, you're like, yeah, they could use more wings, but it's like, well, why? They just had like a top seven defense. Right. And Bullock got a lot better alongside Smith. And look, point guard's a tough market to crack because there's like Kyrie every... Irving, maybe Ben Simmons, <laughs> James Harden. Oh wow, Philly's not going to get rid of James Harden. That's yeah, probably not. Uh, my my. By the way, my my galaxy brain trade idea would be. Ben Simmons for Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal over the offseason. I feel like we would just like create this black hole in Utah, though, because after after all of the Donovan Mitchell versus Ben Simmons rookie of the year stuff. Like... That's why it's a galaxy brain take, though. But they finally get a perimeter defender. They just no longer have the generational rim protector behind him. Or like any chemistry. That would be that team would be dead last <laughs> in vibes. No angles. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe, I don't they'd know, have to. They'd have to hire Steve Nash. Um. So yeah, I'm just. I can't. What I'm thinking. And look, you're not gonna if you're gonna use the mid level exception to try and address your issue in free agency. It's just. It's not gonna happen for the names that mm. are going to be available at that mm. price point. And look, the the free agency market is so bone thin this year. When you're looking at point guards, there's Kyrie Irving. Jalen Brunson, and then it's like Patty Mills as a player option. There's Ricky Rubio. I don't think he's a good fit for Beal. Yo, would be interesting. You seem very excited about this point guard market. Oh, it's the free agency market's a disaster in general. But yeah. here's a name that I think I don't think this is the the answer. Tyus Jones. I love Tyus Jones's game. 
and he would be a fit with Beal. I just he would. It's a it's a much lower end fit, but it's a fit nonetheless. I think it's a perfect fit, but it doesn't take enough of the playmaking responsibilities away from Beal. You know who else would be interesting? <laughs> and I can't say this with a straight face because you're going to assume that it's a joke, even though it's not. Monte true. Morris. Why is that? Why would I think that's a joke? I think that's a great idea. Oh, awesome! Just because I can't say anything about him that's complimentary without just people assuming it. I get. Look, if you're Denver, and like they offered you. Kuzma or KCP for probably cre- preferably KCP. It would Monte be really Morris. interesting. Yep. And I don't know if you could do it. I think you'd have to include something else. One for the money. Maybe Zeke Naji. I just have to move to DC if that happened. Um, would you do that for both teams? Zeke Naji and oh, I thought you Morris. meant would I move no, um, for uh, yeah, KCP. I, I, think, I think that would be a good mutually beneficial deal. I don't think that Washington really needs another backup five, but like you need something even more so than money. Like you need something mm-hmm. other than Monte Morris because KCP is like, he, they're just like, Hey, go guard the best player on the other team. And he does it. Yeah. So that's another team. Uh, really quickly. I don't want an explanation. Is Bradley Beal on the wizards to start next season. Yes or no. Yes. I'm not going to answer it because I honestly don't know. After the, wizards, well, that's no fun. Uh, I'm going to say yes, but there you go. See, you did have an answer. After the Wizards, we have the Pacers, who are low-key, probably one of my three most fascinating teams of the offseason. Starting the clock, what is your biggest question for the Indiana Pacers? How much do you want to bet going forward on good health luck? Because if you do want to bet that there's some sort of progression to the mean when it comes to injuries, you actually have a good team in place right now. Because if Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, and TJ Warren, who it's easy to forget about because he hasn't played basketball in roughly three decades – are actually there to be paired with Tyrese Halliburton and a lot of the other other intriguing role players in a Pacers uniform right now, this is a legitimately good team that could compete for maybe a top half spot in the Eastern Conference. And they're just adding maybe a top five pick yeah. to what would be a intriguing core already. That's but sort- they've all been hurt all the time. I, yeah, I'm trying to run through. I mean, Halliburton's fine. TJ Warren's the biggie. I But... Brogdon's going to miss, what, 10 to 15 games at a minimum. Turner's going to miss 10 to 15 games at a minimum. It adds up. TJ Warren, though, the risk proposition on him, I would assume, is lower. because I'm I think so. He'll get more than Victor Oladipo did when he had to sign the minimum. At the same time, like, if anyone's giving TJ Warren a lot of money, is it for more than a year? Probably Not, not. Yeah. So that is my question for them, though. Are they going to go the gradual rebuild route or do historically what Indiana has done where this tank, you know, and we'll call it the joke going around now because everyone like the ethical tank, because they, they still, they didn't, they didn't go the OKC route, even though I think the criticism of OKC is fucking stupid. Um, But if we're going off what they've done in history, they would try to be back in the conversation for the playoffs next season. That being said, the Malcolm Brogdon report from Mark Stein, it's not just like this came from someone random either. This is Mark fucking Stein saying that, and the way he framed it, whereas Indiana has given the indication that they're going to trade Malcolm Brogdon. And the I the only two conclusions I can draw, because this is, again, this is a Sacramento uh, situation where it's, you don't have to, there's no Malcolm Brogdon or Tyrese Halliburton. Like, you can have both. You don't need to choose between the two. So if it's not that, it either has to be that you're just so down on Malcolm Brogdon's health and that extension that you just gave him, or are you actually contemplating the more gradual rebuild route, in which case, who else is available? And um, one, it's, is TJ Warren just gone at that point in free agency? The bigger question would be, is Miles Turner then still available? Because he's 26. He's yeah. at that age where it's... To I, me, it's a both or none. If you're trading Brogdon, it means you're also trading Turner because you have to commit to the rebuild in that scenario because you're not going to get back even present day value for Brogdon, given the injury history and the new extension. You're, you're just not. So to me, it's either they're keeping them together or they're shipping off both of them. Probably not in the same deal. Definitely in separate deals. Sorry, Lakers fans. <laughs> <laughs> I, my thing would be, and looking at mocks would be, do they just feel like they're going to end up drafting a point guard? But even like if they go after a Johnny Davis, that's not a point guard. And the first point guard. Also, this class is bad. That's what I was going to say. The first point guard to come off the market is going to be Jaden Ivey, which I don't. And he's combo guard, whatever. I don't think like he probably goes 
top four, right? And we don't know if they're going to have a pick there. And then after him, it's Ty Ty Washington, who I don't like. Would you take him at five no, or six? No. So that's why I would agree with you, but that would be the other logic. And then look, there's also Buddy Heald, who I think is still contracts not spectacular, but just someone who could hit difficult threes at a high clip. Team should want him. Agreed. And so if you're trading Brogdon, my guess would be I would lean. I still don't know what to feel about Turner if you're trading Brogdon because Turner's so in between. And you also already traded your other big, but you could also look at it from the perspective of if Miles Turner wants $25 million a year in his next deal, is he worth that to you when you're not necessarily on the immediate track? And when, look, the, unless you're a megastar center, like teams aren't technically paying you that type of money. The center is such a, I know he spaces the floor and is a lockdown rim protector. I just, he's in like that, that fringe star territory that makes it. It so feels difficult. like the idea of Miles Turner is still superior to the actual Miles Turner a lot of the time, if only because of, of availability. If you are them then, and you are doing the rebuild, and this is the thing that's been going around, are you doing the expiring contract of Westbrook for Brogdon healed two picks and two swaps? And the first swap, wouldn't be exercised until 2026. The first pick itself doesn't convey until 2027. That's creating. I would still very much not go that route. I there's the whole conversation about front office security. The picks are just so far off into the distance. If you were making the one way I could see it's arguable is one, if Kevin uh, Pritchard is just so concerned about job security, he goes and tells Herb Simon, like, look, we're going to need to like 26, 27 to, to see what happens. So let me see this through. Maybe it's easier to spin if you are making subsequent deals where if you're getting immediate draft equity and Mm -hmm. prospects for Turner that you're okay. But even 2026 and knowing that the Lakers could technically luck into another star somehow, um, I probably wouldn't do it either. But that's just, that's been the scenario that I think has been just floated the most since the Lakers season ended. Yeah. I I just, I can't get the idea of both or none out of my head here. Do you think, do you have, if you had to guess, or one, what would you do? Two, what do you think they do? I would ride this out because I I still believe in the core, but I don't think they're going to, if only because of the reporting that we're seeing and from who's reporting it. Because if uh, there there's no re- if Brogdon hasn't asked out and that's still the leading rumor right now, that's one of those. There's enough smoke that there's definitely fire situations. I'm with you on every front, except I still don't have a stance on the Turner situation anymore because I could very much see them being, look, he's 26. We'll pay him. He'll stay here. We can always move him later. One question that might answer that if they jump in to like the top three of the lot, like if they, if they're in Chet Holmgren or, or Paolo or even Jabari Smith territory, does that, that, does that make it easier? Because in theory, you could pair Turner with any one of them. Probably you, you absolutely could. But I do think if you end up with one of those three players, maybe it makes it more likely that Turner is available. After Indiana, we are going to move on to the Detroit Pistons and we'll put seven minutes on the clock. What is your biggest question for the Motor City Pistons? My biggest question is Jeremy Grant, Grant, question mark. It's just, what are they going to do with him? He's, he's He's under contract for $21 million next year. It is an expiring deal. He is tremendously appealing across the league because of what he can do as a a shot creating defensively versatile forward who can take and make three pointers, who can attack the basket. He can fill all of those different roles and his timeline just doesn't match up with this young and aggressive Pistons team, especially given what we saw Detroit do in his absence down the stretch when they, they played a lot differently. They handed a lot more minutes to the young guys. They really made it Cade Cunningham's team. And all of a sudden, they were super competitive. So I, I think that's the impetus they need to actually pull the trigger on a deal here. And it, it's just a matter of, of what that's going to look like. Are they going the established star route just at a different position? Are they trying to get even more draft equity to bring in another big name young player to pair with Cunningham on this this super young timeline? It could go any number of directions because any number of teams could and should have legitimate interest in Grant. And also, I'm not, I've moved away from the the timeline doesn't match the team's timeline. I'm, I'm not as for that. It is legitimate 
especially in this case, because he, he is in the last year of his deal. Yep. And does I don't I don't care about the age thing. It's just that you're gonna have to pay him. Four years, one twelve is his max extension, which a lot of people think he'll get. And look, I'm all for players getting paid from a team's perspective. That's not a no brainer decision when talking about a non star. It's just he's twenty eight. It's just it's not a no brainer decision. Uh that is certainly the biggest question for them. The and I, I did give would you have done the this is like repeating a question, but if you're getting the thirteenth pick, Kai Jones and Terry Rozier, is that enough value to get Jeremy Grant? I think I it was for me. I think so. I like Terry Rozier, which lead the question of my for my my question for the Pistons. Sorry, I don't know why I can't talk. Is how are they planning to flesh out the roster around Kate Cunningham? And this was Spins and I had actually talked about this. Are you going the like frenetic athleticism route where because Cade Cunningham is this bigger player who's effectively a point guard and even Killian Hayes is big for a, a six, five, six, six, whatever he is. So are you trying to go like with just a bunch of like bigger defenders who can guard all these different positions? You have Sadiq Bay there already. Uh, does that, and does that mean that maybe you want a more athletic presence at the five uh, than in Isaiah Stewart slash Marvin Bagley certainly has hops, but not the, not the defensive. Chops, that's right? that's future all-star Marvin Bagley, by the way. Ooh, is he going to be back in Detroit? He's a free agent. I hope so. So, and then, or are you going that route or are you going to be prioritizing optimization offensively, which I think would be at this point, I, it depends on, I don't know what's going to happen in the draft, but given what Killian Hayes showed uh, towards like the last month or month and a half of the season where he was putting pressure on the rim, had the floater going, uh, I think you just shooting. Like it'd be yes. nice if it was functional shooting, maybe guys who could dribble and defend. Um, which one of those are you like? What sort of those roster? Shooting, 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 shooting. Because Cade Cunningham is one of those rare players who can completely control an offense. I'm not talking about a guy who can get his own shots when he wants, but completely control the flow and tempo of a game and look so comfortable doing it. He understands how to manipulate schemes. He understands how to slow the ball down, how to stay calm under pressure, how to draw double teams and find open guys. And he, much like similar players like Luka Doncic, you want to surround them with as much shooting as you can to make it a nightmare for defenses because he is so good at probing into these spots, figuring out what a defense is doing and hitting the open guy. That if you can truly play a five-out look with him running the show, you're not going to get stopped. I guess I would just be, if you're also, if we're operating under the assumption they are going to move Jeremy Grant, which I agree with you, I think he'll be traded. That's going to compromise your defense. And if you lean into shooting, that could come at the expense of your defense. I do, you look at their offense this past season and it feels like there were more offensive flags than red flags. But again, if you start to change up the talent, we saw it with the Knicks who got lucky. They got lucky with their opponent three-point shooting last year, but they leaned so far towards the offensive mm -hmm. route. They went arguably a couple moves too far. Now they had the Kemba just didn't pan out. Fournier was up and down. Derrick Rose was injured. And if you're making smarter investments, sure. But I do think, and this is spins it argued in favor of this, and it made me rethink to where I don't have an answer for them. I understand the thought process of Kate Cunningham is already so good on offense. And we saw what he did manipulating defenses when he didn't have infinite space around him or dependable shooting and finishing for the entire season around him. Like, why wouldn't you just be like, okay, the offensive end is set because we have this guy like let's car. And look in an ideal world, you're just surrounding him with a bunch of three and D people. And yes. you definitely want some functional like ball handling, obviously. If you had to choose between the two, I actually think it's more of a discussion than I was with you going into that, by the way. And I think I still lean towards space that fucking floor around him and let's see where we get to. Yeah. I just, I think that if you, say like, okay, we have him, fuck it, let's move on. <laughs> then the issue is the pressure that you're putting on him. Because we, we've we seen, like, look at what's happening in the playoffs right now with Jokic and an injured Nuggets team, where like, even if you, you're surrounding him with great defensive players, when you task one guy with doing everything on offense, you're tasking him with doing everything on offense for 82 games and then the playoffs when everything gets bogged down there's more there's more bodies being thrown at you there are more schematic variations being thrown at you and you can't make it through that so that's why like i think you capitalized on the strength 
rather than just assume that strength is going to float you no matter what. I think I agree with you too. And I know you lose, use Luka Doncic as an example, but until the season, like that was the perfect example in the playoffs. And now that he has Dinwiddie and Brunson, those two are better defenders than some, but neither of them are great defenders. And well, they're no Donovan Mitchell, but um, <laughs> sorry, that was so unnecessary. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> if you can get, I'm just, I'm use, confused because you just mentioned Donovan Mitchell and defense in the same section sentence. If, if you can use, let's use the Pelicans this season as an example where yes, they have a Herb Jones, which Detroit doesn't have. So maybe they're better. Like, look, and you need the one like really good wing defender for sure. Do you think that's Sadiq Bay is going to be Cade Cunningham? I think it could be. Um, which is fine, but I, I think there's reason to believe that properly coached teams are able to build schemes where it's okay. Maybe we're not forcing a ton of turnovers, but we don't foul a lot. We get back in transition. And if we're putting enough bodies, Detroit doesn't currently have the capacity to do this, but like they were 13th in offensive rebounding, I think. So if you're going to put enough bodies around the glass, pressure the other people who are grabbing the ball to stop them from getting in transition. I think it might be easier. And this is only something I've recently given thought to. Is it easier to outperform your talent on offense or defense? And I think it's defense. It's, I think it's defense. Yeah. You know, defense is probably the thing about the NBA. I understand the least. It feels like you can scheme your way into competent defenses, but you can't really do the same on offense without shot makers because you ultimately have to make baskets. Look, we went over on the Detroit Pistons longer than anybody. That's how committed we are. So don't tell us we don't talk about every single team enough on this podcast. We're on our final team, Orlando Magic, 22 and 60. That's a bad record. But what What does the inevitable talent consolidation process look like? Mo Bamba needs a new contract, but Wendell Carter Jr. and a potentially healthy version of Jonathan Isaac are already there. They have so many young guards between Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz. Uh, They still have RJ Hampton, Chumo Kiki. Beyond that, there are more top rookies incoming because they have a chance to get the number one pick. They have two of the top four picks in the second round or top five picks in the second round. So, at some point, enough is enough, and you can't just keep throwing in young player after young player. And what does that process look like? Does it mean that Bomba is walking? Does it mean that you're shopping Jonathan Isaac? Does it mean that you're shopping one of the actual young guys? Something has to give here. Because as seems to be the case in Orlando for roughly the last 25 years, there are log jams in place. I, I'm totally with you, and it's sort of like – we don't know where they're going to end up in the draft, but you look at this team and I think you point to Jalen Suggs cornerstone it, until proven otherwise. I know his rookie season was wonky with injuries. You could I still see the, it though. I see it too. And there's the load he was carrying at points. Like, but I'm, I'm with the consolidation move, or at least you can call it a decongestion move because even if they're not necessarily getting better, they just need to open runway somewhere. Because my question would actually be who is the second guy here in Orlando? I think is it's it Franz Wagner. Yeah, I didn't even mention Wagner because he's so obviously a centerpiece, but I still think it's Carter and then and then Wagner. So, and do you have Jonathan Isaac behind both of them at this point? I don't know because <laughs> what is he and is he healthy? I mean, it's taken a long time for him to recover from these injuries. Is that just an abundance of caution? Is it him legitimately having trouble working his way back into the athletic shape necessary to do what he does was the offensive growth, which is such a small sample of proof legitimate I, we, until we see him on, on the court. If you, if you have Wendell Carter jr. As your, as your five, right. Could Fultz still be the answer here? I mean, he looked really good in flashes. No, he's not. He's I mean, still young. He's not the, as the number two, there's no way. Probably not, but I, I don't know that I'd totally rule it out. What do you think is the bigger need? And I think even if you, if they jump up high enough in the lottery, although they have the they have the second best lottery odds, so they might end up with a big in the lottery, which I think that makes their situation even more interesting. Because yep. do you think they could go the Cleveland route, where it's you know we'll play Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Jonathan Isaac, and let's say Paolo together, because I think he'd probably be the best fit alongside two bigs. Like, and then Franz Wagner's just your two, and you have Jalen Suggs at the one. <laughs> Who knows? So, so I want to. I, I mean, maybe. So draft aside, though, I think... Let Chet Holmgren run the point. 
I think between the draft and having Carter or the option of keeping Isaac, that they're not their front court is set, but they're let's just say they're big. Like they they don't have to like do anything nuclear to figure out can we get a playable big man or even a front court because Wendell Carter Jr. Isaac or Wendell Carter Jr. plus one of the rookies or one of the rookies plus Isaac could work. What do you think is bigger for them? They do have more bodies, it seems, when you're looking at these ball handling guards. Is it finding an actual floor general though? Or is it sort of like in like finding like carving out more two-way wings to where it's like not I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter because you don't really like have a pathway to having those right now unless you're a huge believer in Okiki. Beyond that, like it's just a void. Because at least with the ball handling options, there's something there. I mean, Suggs can absolutely turn into that guy who is the all-star point guard in this roster. Cole Anthony, I, I still believe in the talent there, even if there's a whole hell of a lot of volatility from a game-to-game perspective. Fultz, I, I, I keep coming back to that because I, I see the flashes. And if he can stay healthy and is actually given a runway, maybe there's something there. So I, I, I see those options. I don't see the same options on the wings. And that, that's why that has to be the answer. For, I actually go the opposite route because I'm wondering, Franz Wagner was okay at the three this year anyway. And I wouldn't call him three and D, even though he moved a lot better uh, laterally on defense than I just, again, and this, I'm not a draft expert. So maybe other people were super high on his defense. Anyway, I look at the team and I think Jalen Suggs is the only person who might meet the criteria of what you just laid out. I don't think it's false. There's the huge hole in his game where you're working with someone who's just going to have that shooting void forever. And that's a, it's fine. If he's hitting his mid rangers right. defenses won't, won't care. They just, they won't care. Uh, I don't think Cole Anthony is that like, he seems more of like the microwave jolt of adrenaline off the bench, which is a great player to my dismay and chagrin. It's not RJ Hampton. There was always just like a pace to his game where I thought, I thought it could be. I'm not after this season. I don't think it's him. And I also, so for Jalen Suggs, maybe he can be that guy. I think he will be best suited if he's not where it's the question of, can the wizards put the right floor general around Bradley Beal? Jalen Suggs is in that same umbrella for me. When looking at his peak, I could see him being a much better defender than Bradley Beal. I could see his the 90th percentile of his career being better than Bradley Beal's. I just don't think he should be cast, should have to be cast as that floor general. And so it would be more critical if I were the Magic to be like, how do we optimize his long-term offense? And I don't think anyone on this roster currently has a shot of doing that for them. Maybe I'm just way off, but I don't. Like if you're going to, I want to know who's the person you have to pick one that you're going to make the strongest case for in that discussion. And I'll probably feel pretty strongly that you're wrong is so that's not an invitation to make the case. Cause I don't want to dump all over your takes, but that's where oh, it's fine. Yeah. And just to expand on that even a little more, I, I think the other thing is it's generally easier to build up a rotation of young players and have them develop. If you have a really strong ball handling option on the floor at all times, we've seen so many teams struggle to develop bigs and forwards because they don't have a veteran presence at point guard who's capable of getting them the ball in advantageous spots. So if Suggs isn't that guy, you're putting a lot of pressure on him to be that guy. That's also fair. This team is, I, they have so much talent, but it's not clarifying at the moment, if that makes any sense. And maybe the draft will be a little bit clarifying depending on where they land. I don't think so. I think it's actually going to be more muddying than not. Yeah. It so you know, but they're they're another team to watch. A lot of these Raleigh teams are fascinating. That was great and shorter for Ish, us. Uh, kind of. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. If you've done all those things, please shout us out. Um, help us promote the podcast. Tell friends, family members, anyone on the internet you know likes basketball. Retweet our promos. Follow us on the socials, all of which Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube. They're all and. Th- they're all in the, which one am I forgetting? Instagram? Oh, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Links are in the podcast description. Follow our YouTube channel. We're over 1K subscribers, but I am now posting organic content on YouTube in addition to IG and TikTok. So there are reasons to follow us any, everywhere, FYI. And join the Discord. Um, we're usually, I'm usually around during games, not so much when we're recording during a Phoenix New Orleans game, per se, like a certain game, game four. But uh, until next time, we do the shout out to the one, the only, Still in the playoffs, the lockdown, 
Is he going to head to the semifinals? I think he will because the Jazz are eventually going to implode. We all know it. Frank Nelson.